Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word, where we grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and our walk with Christ. I'm glad you joined us for this episode today of This Week in the Word. You found us at www.dredhill.podbean.com. Thanks for listening. Let's get right to it. We are in a series entitled Truth for Tough Times. It is a study of First and Second Timothy in the New Testament of the Christian Bible. This is only the second episode, so you've joined us at a great time if this is your first uh, visit to This Week in the Word. And you can go back and listen to the first episode after this one. Well, we come today to the episode that I'm entitling, uh, quite simply, Law and Disorder. I don't know if you remember the song from the 1960s, I think, called I Fought the Law and the Law Won. (laughs) You'll see as we look at this today, that that song has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about. If you'll remember from last week's episode, or if you go back and listen, you'll hear that, Paul was writing this letter to a young pastor named Timothy. He had mentored Timothy, and he had left him in the city of Ephesus, which is now in modern-day Turkey, to help that church grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and their knowledge of the Word of God. When Paul left Ephesus for the last time, he gave a warning to the Ephesian elders. You can read about that in the book of Acts. I want to say that it's in Acts 16. I could be wrong. I meant to look that up, but it's it's right there in the book of Acts in that general area. And the warning to the leadership, the pastors of the church at Ephesus, which was a great church, by the way, a really great one at that time. But Paul warned them that from among themselves that, put it this way, wolves would arise and try to destroy the flock. That's a shocking warning. Now, Paul called Timothy to be a wolf fighter, if you want to look at it like that. And Timothy accepted Paul's challenge. Many years ago, there was an explorer in Antarctica, went there, I think, three times, Lord Shackleton. And before he went, I believe on the first trip, he posted an ad to find a crew. And here was the ad. Men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, safe return, doubtful, honor and recognition in case of success. You know what? Lord Shackleton was swamped with men wanting to be part of that expedition. You know why? Men, real men, want to be challenged. And Paul knew that Timothy was a real man, more than that, a real man of God. So in 1 Timothy, and especially in 2 Timothy, Paul is reminding Timothy of what he has to do to protect the flock at the church in Ephesus. Now, what was Timothy going to have to deal with to protect them from? 
weird and strange rabbinic theories from the rabbis of old about the Word of God, possibly something like the Jewish mysticism found in the Kabbalah. I'm not sure that was even written by them uh, then, rather, but it still would be that kind of thinking, which is pretty weird, or and or or both Gnostic heresies and other heresies that diminish the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was not really God, but he was more like an angel or a creature in a long line of them and help point the way to God or something crazy like that. Well, that's not the New Testament teaching, all right? So Timothy was to be a wolf fighter to protect the flock from false teaching, which was apparently rampant by this time, and he was having to deal with it. False teaching, instead of just trusting the plain word of God written, the Bible, all right? So Timothy's work was cut out for him. He was to ground the church in Ephesus in the Bible. The Ephesian church by this time was a mess, unfortunately. Why is that, Pastor Ed? Well, I think it was a mess because it was a great church years ago, uh, you know, when all of this was written, and yet Satan wanted to try to stop the gospel message of that church, so he just introduced false teaching all over the place. And Timothy had his hands full, I'll tell you. He really needed the Spirit of the Lord in him, empowering him to protect the flock and straighten all of this out. So Paul writes these two letters, starting with 1 Timothy, to help him. Now, we're going to see, and we will read the scripture here in a few moments, we're going to see something about the law. And here's what I want you to see. When we think about the law of God, we often think of the Ten Commandments, but actually, according to the uh, Jewish religion, there's 613 in the mitzvah. 613 laws that have been identified in the Old Testament, not just 10. So for those of you who may be saying, I try to live by the Ten Commandments, boy, do you need to clue in. Anyway, it's not just 10. It's 603 more than you're already not keeping. All right? (laughs) So there's two errors relating to the law of God, and here they are. The law of God, you know, Satan works both sides of the street, if you see what I mean. He'll get you coming or going as long as he gets you. And here's the two errors. The law of God is either ignored or it's misused. Either way, it's just wrong. Now, let me tell you what the law does. The law of God whether it's just the Ten Commandments or all 613 of the mitzvah, the law tells the truth about man, about people, that we are sinners in rebellion against a holy God. You see, the law exposes us, and because we are breaking it, it condemns us But more than that, through this process, 
it drives us in desperation to place our hope only in Christ. But I'll tell you one thing the law does not do, and it was never intended to do this. The law does not make us righteous before God. It does not put us in a right standing before God. You know why? We're breaking it because of who we are even more than what we do. I hope that makes sense to you. I want you to think of the law as a fine piece of china. So we have this beautiful china plate, and I drop it. And I, I've, uh, I didn't break the whole thing, but I, I cracked it pretty good. You can see it. You know, but it's only one little piece. Hey, that piece of china is broken, all of it. You get what I'm saying? You no longer want to put it on a table for your honored dinner guests. Why? Even though it was only in one little area, the, the plate essentially is broken. The law is like that. Well, only break it a little bit. You break it. You get it? Now, let me give you hope. <laughs> if anybody was beyond salvation, beyond help or hope, it was the Apostle Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, to write First and Second Timothy. Now, why do I say that? If anybody was hopeless, it would be the guy who wrote this letter. Here's why. Before he was known as the Apostle Paul, he was named Saul. And he was very much a zealous defender of the Jewish faith and of the law and, you know, the, the um, Sanhedrin and all of that. He was, he was a member of all of that. But in his zeal, he murdered many people in the name of God. Thou shalt not murder. Well, he did that a lot. But Jesus saved him. So I want you to know today, you are not too sinful to be saved. And if you find yourself here listening to this, and you're not really sure how. I want you to know it may well be the Lord, I believe it is the Lord bringing you here so you can hear what I just said. No matter what you've done or who you think you are, you are not too sinful to be saved. I'll tell you something else about Paul. If anybody could be saved by keeping the law, it would, would have been Paul. Because, I mean, he was not playing around. He did everything within his power to live by the law of God. Yet, he was so religious and yet so lost until he met the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, here's the thing I want to say again about the law. Satan works both sides of the street if he can mess somebody up by making them pro-law, zealous for the law, like Paul was, he'll do that because they'll be thinking that they're keeping it and they're right with God, which they're not. Or if somebody says, well, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in the law. You can't tell me I'm wrong. 
then Satan works the anti-law side. He doesn't care. He works both sides of the street. And you know, life as a Christian is a tightrope walk, like we're with the great Blondini trying to cross Niagara Falls on a tightrope. Here's why. Entire religious systems have been built on keeping the Old Testament law to earn our way to heaven. And entire religious systems have been built that dismiss the law as so Old Testament, like unhitched from the Old Testament. We don't need the law. We don't ever need to read it. We don't need to know what it says you know, we're, we're under grace, we're in the New Testament, all that, all that. and we, of course we are under grace, we are in the New Testament, but to unhitch from the Old Testament, huge mistake. Here's why. In Galatians, which Paul also wrote, before we read our text for today, in Galatians 3, verses 24 to 26, we read this, and listen carefully. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster, for ye are all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. So once we, the law convicts us, it shows us that we're lost and we need Christ. When we come to Christ, we're not trying to keep the law. Obviously, we are living by faith in Christ, but it all works together to convict us and bring us to Christ. The law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The law, rightly understood, if people try to, quote, keep the law, the law creates utter desperation and points to Christ alone because an honest person has to say, you know what, I am not keeping this. I am completely unable to keep the law of God. All it does is convict me. Well, that's where it's being a schoolmaster to bring us to Jesus, all right? Now, we're gonna read in a few moments several sins, and they are representative sins. They're not every sin there is. And if you don't see your sin listed, that's okay. At the end, it says <laughs> anything else there may be, which, which there is. But these are representative. But I also notice in thinking of today's culture, they're very popular sins today. And they're listed, but we're all sinners who need Christ. Some of us have have recognized that and we've come to Jesus to be forgiven and saved and born again. And some listening today have never done that. Perhaps you reject the law completely. You can't tell me how to live. Whatever, get over yourself. Or you are, you are desperately trying to be good, you know, by keeping the law. Either way, it it keeps you from coming to Christ. You see what I'm saying? Now, part of the problem, I think, at Ephesus is living in that part of the world. Not only was there a wrong emphasis in the law from the Jewish side of things, but 
the Gnostics and a lot of philosophy all over the place in Ephesus talked about things like eons and angels and created beings and, you know, uh, great levels and, you know, new, new, uh, I don't know what to call them. We just call them angels, you know, new angels that have come and and shown a little more about God and all of that. And, you know, ultimately they lead us to Christ, who's not even God, but he's the latest manifestation of God. Listen, that is all just so wrong, all right? I don't even want you to understand it because it's wrong. Whether it's Gnosticism or Jewish mysticism, like things like the Kabbalah or modern New Age thinking and all of that, it's just wrong. We need Jesus Christ. And also, another thing messing up the church at Ephesus that Timothy is told to correct here, Paul explains it, is the idea that, you know, if you have the right family tree, you're in like that with God. Wrong. God has no grandchildren, people. God only has children who've been born again. You don't get in because your grandmother was a great believer in Jesus. It's all about you at that point. What do you believe about Jesus and are you born again? You know, it's not what your family line has been. I, I hear people often, I've heard this all through my ministry, like, well, my, my great granddaddy was a preacher and he started this church there. And yet this person telling me that clearly is lost. That doesn't earn you any points with God. It probably gets you in more trouble because the truth was in your family and you rejected it. Oh man, listen, Jesus plus the law or Jesus plus anything, however you cut it, it basically comes down to you have to get right and you have to work your way to heaven. And that isn't ever going to happen. Works that flow from a a born-again faith in Christ, where Christ is working through you, that's one thing. I mean, that happens when we come to Christ. He shows us things he wants to do through us. We, we all get that, or Christians get it. But the idea that you can do good works, or that somehow your good will outweigh the bad, and maybe you'll just luck out and earn salvation, that's what the Egyptians believed, um, that will leave you still on your way to a hopeless eternity in hell. That's pretty blunt, but that's pretty true. You see, we're all born as sinners, and until we get off the hell highway, you know, highway to hell, <laughs> like ACDC used to sing about, well, there really is one. We're born on it when we're born. And until we take the exit ramp, Mark Jesus Christ, we stay on that highway to hell. And one of the fast lanes to, to hell on the highway to hell is trying to earn your salvation. Come on. It's time to wake up from that delusion. Back in 1973, which I know if you're a young person, you're thinking so ancient. And I'm thinking, hey, 11th grade. <laughs> Started the 11th grade, I think, for me, junior year. I mean, I can remember 1973. I know that's stunning to some of you listening, like, holy cow, this dude is old. I'm pretty old. Anyway, in 1973, 
Dr. Carl Menninger of the Menninger Clinic, I think in Kansas City, Missouri, wrote a book that became an instant epic classic among psychiatrists and people like that and mental health. And the title of the book was Whatever Became a Sin. Now, this guy was not, you know, a Southern Baptist preacher or something like that. I don't know what he personally believed about God or truth or the law or, or anything like that. But his point was, in his book, Whatever Became a Sin, is he said there's going to come a day on the track that we were already on then where nobody will ever own up to anything. They will always excuse it or say, well, I'm this way because my daddy was this way or, you know, I'm oppressed or, you know, oh yeah, he murdered those people because he's bipolar. No, he's a murderer, all right? <laughs> you get the idea? And he said the day's going to come where you won't be able to pin anything on anybody. Whatever became of sin. Well, that ties right in to where we are. And here we are. We're going to read 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 11. Now, the end of the commandment, and let's stop right there. The end means like the goal, the destination, the, the reason for it. The end of the commandment is charity, that is love, agape, God's kind of love, out of a pure heart. That is a, a heart that's just true blue, okay? Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. That is a, a true, sincere faith. Now, let's stop right there. I was never that stayed awake that much in English class, and this may even be wrong. I meant to look this up about what I was going to say, but... Um, Maybe you'll find that I was wrong, so you look it up. <laughs> I think it's called an ellipsis. I think I'm right on that. But verse 5, right after that, it's sort of like you put a parenthesis around verse 6 all the way to the end of verse 10. I think I'm right on that, an ellipsis. Why? Because in between verse 5 is a lot that explains more and then in verse 11, it comes back to the original thought from verse 5, at least the way I read it. Now, the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. And then verse 11 says, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. So I think that um, the way I'm reading it right now anyway, I may see it a little different on another day, but it seems to me like, like in between that is an explanation of what is wrong. But anyway, if you disagree, uh, don't worry about that. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned, from which some... And this idea of some means uh, uh, particular people from which some having, and that may be the Ephesian elders, for example, some of them, you know, had, had gone off the, off the deep end on doctrine and were teaching things which were not biblical doctrine, from which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. I mean, they are just babbling words 
and it doesn't even make any sense. From which some is swerved, having swerved, have turned aside unto vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. So he nails these guys, whoever they were, because they were teaching things that were not correct, they were not Bible doctrine, and they didn't even really understand what they were talking about, and the church should not be listening to them, all right? And Timothy was to correct them. We'll see that. Verse 8, but we know that the law is good. So, by the way, if you've been listening to this point and you're thinking I'm trashing the law, I'm not. I agree with what God said through Paul right here in verse 8, but we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. That is, for the reason God gave it. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. All right, just file that away a minute. Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. So, by the way, if you didn't see your sin listed, that, that last phrase, it takes it all in, all right? We're all sinners. Verse 11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. Now, I want to read from the New American Standard relating to verses 8 through 10 because there's a lot of Elizabethan English in the King James, and I know that. So let me read from the New American Standard, verses 8 through 10. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and worldly, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for the sexually immoral, homosexuals, slave traders, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. So as I said, this is a representative list. And then at the end, he says, whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, which I don't know how many sins there are, but there's got to be hundreds, if not thousands, all right? We're all guilty before God. And the only hope is for the law 
to convict us that we are hopelessly lost. We are a sinner against God, against his law, but we have no ability to um, do enough good things or good deeds or, quote, keep the Ten Commandments or, quote, keep the law. Yeah, all 613. We're unable to do that. That either sends us into desperation and despair or it, it points us to Jesus Christ who took our punishment upon himself on the cross. God smote him and killed him as the sacrifice for our sin Then, of course, being dead, he was buried, and the third day he rose again from the dead, proving that God the Father accepted his sacrifice for our sins, and he is able to give us a new birth when we place our faith and trust in him to have died for our sins, that we are forgiven, and we can be born again through Christ. And you know these sins that are mentioned? Now, I know this is amazing to some of you. None of them are any worse than the others, and none of them listed here are, are worse than anything he didn't mention, which comes under uh, or uh, if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, to healthy teaching. So, If you're feeling like, how dare you? I would say on behalf of God, how dare you? How dare I? If the law convicts us, we cannot argue with God. We need to be convicted and come to the Lord for salvation. And you know what? Everyone who comes to the Lord sincerely and truly, he will save. He will give you a new life and power over sin. Whatever sin is troubling you today. You are not special in that sense, all right? So think about that. Now, I want to give you some further good news. I want to give you a phone number that you can write down, 877-247-2426. I want you to know today, if you call that number, Someone will talk with you about your your questions or your struggles or your conviction of sin and your need for Christ. And I want you to know that if you receive Christ as your true Savior and Lord and you are born again, that with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you can know for certain how your eternity will turn out. Instead of continuing to follow Satan and being condemned with him to an eternal hell, you can follow Jesus Christ and be welcome into heaven and eternity with God. You can even go to chataboutjesus.com and someone will chat with you about your questions. Now, maybe you're already at the point where you're ready to repent of sin and trust Jesus Christ today. Listen to this verse, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Romans 10 verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So I hope you'll do that today. And I hope that as we continue to go through this book of 1 Timothy and then into 2 Timothy, that the Lord will give you understanding. And if you're not saved today, you will come to Christ through this episode or even through this series over the next few weeks. If you are a Christian, I hope this strengthens you today. Tell somebody about this episode. Like it and share it right from where you are. Invite others to listen to This Week in the Word at dredhill.podbean.com. Thank you for listening. I'll be back next week with Episode 3 of Truth for Tough Times.